Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 1 down through verse 8, verse 1 down through verse 8 of Titus chapter 3. The Bible says there, it says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready uh, to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. But the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things... Uh, I, w- I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. The title of the sermon this evening is right there on the screen before you. It's Legalism in the Church, or Are We a Legalistic Church? Are We a Legalistic Church? Let's pray this evening. I pray, God, that you'd help us tonight as we study this passage and then others that are parallel to it that you give us clarity of mind and understanding. And Lord, as I prayed in my office just a few moments ago, Lord, that you would uh, speak through me. Lord, that uh, you'd hide me and my opinions, uh, especially the ones that don't line up with your word. And God, that um, that uh, your Holy Spirit would just take over tonight. And God, uh, we're wasting our time if you're not here in our midst. Uh, Lord, we're wasting our time if we're just here to play church. And so, Lord, I know my heart's desire is to be filled with you. And, Lord, it's my desire to preach your book with your power and with your passion. Well, Lord, I pray that those that are listening would listen with the same intensity and fervor. And, God, meet with us here tonight. Help us to seriously deal with where we are and where you'd have us go. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated tonight. We're living in a time where Satan is unleashing an all-out assault on Christians and their churches. It used to be that he had to masquerade or hide uh, his assault because the culture at large was sympathetic to a Christian base. But as we get closer and closer and closer to the day of Christ's return or the rapture, we grow further and further away from our Christian roots. And we grow further and further away uh, from those who respect and revere us who hold to our Christian roots. On Wednesday evenings, um, we're covering the armor of God. We've gone through three of the pieces. We've got a few more to go through uh, right out of Ephesians 6. We are talking in depth about the spiritual battle that every Christian faces. Let me just pause there to say that uh, if you're not doing anything on Wednesday evenings, I'd encourage you to come out. It's a different speed, it's a Bible study, uh, where we take a different passage of Scripture and we, we attempt to understand it. I would really encourage you to be here Wednesdays at 7 o'clock as we talk about that. But in that series, we're talking and discussing and preaching about how that there is a spiritual warfare that we are all in every day. Every day there is a war that cannot be seen with our eyes, that goes on right over our very heads, and Satan 
is looking to attack you, Christian, and take you out and keep you from being an effective Christian for Christ. But let me just say this evening that there is a corporate battle that we fight as a church. Satan is using non-Christians to try his best to shut us down. Since I've become your pastor several times, I have stood behind this pulpit and I have talked about the liberal left and their attempts to take down those who will not line up with their uh, 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 with their lascivious agenda. It's not enough that um, uh, that that uh, it's not enough that you don't celebrate homosexuality. They expect you to celebrate it, or they expect you to be punished. It's not enough that you don't celebrate the uh, the gender uh, discussion that's going on in our country. They don't. They want you to celebrate it, and if you're not willing to celebrate it, then uh, they will uh, they will bury you. They cry that we're intolerant, but truth be told is they are much, much more intolerant than even the most intolerant of Christians. Satan's looking to use that crowd to shut us down. Think of it like this. Even the churches that don't do a whole lot of soul winning, many of them support missionaries that do. If you're Satan and you're looking at this from a global standpoint, Boy, if you can shut down the churches in the U.S. of A., how many missionaries will pack their bags and go home? How many people around the world would no longer hear the gospel? Satan's looking to take us out, but my friends, he's not looking only to take us out from those who are uh, opposing us, openly opposing us. He's also looking to take us out from infighting, from infighting. He wants nothing more than for Christians to have a civil war amongst themselves. I believe he's using carnal, Laodicean Christians to try and make those who desire to be sold out and sincere in their walk with the Lord. He's trying to make them through the Laodicean Christians feel as though they're old and stuffy and out of touch and extremist. They throw out the term legalistic. Legalistic. They talk about how that we enforce the letter of the law to such a crazy, weird, and odd extreme that it is unrealistic for anyone to follow on that level. Let me just say that tonight there are churches out there that do make this mistake. They do make this mistake. There are churches out there that take some ridiculous standards and attach it to a verse that's way out of context and they attempt to force everyone under their influence to live by it. That's wrong. That's wrong. Let me give you some examples. When I was a young boy, I had a friend named Stephen. He had a sister named Elizabeth that was uh, a grade older than me and I thought she was cute. But this was before I knew my wife, or I wouldn't have thought she was cute. Amen? Uh, I was in the fifth grade. Elizabeth was in the sixth grade. Her older brother was in the ninth grade. Stephen and I, man, we hit it off. We were friends. Stephen's dad was the uh, bus director at our church. He did a phenomenal job running our bus ministry. Stephen's dad was a workaholic. My goodness, Brother Jeff would work himself in the ground. But they made the decision to pick up their things and leave our church and move to a very well-known church in Texas. I won't give the name of the church because I don't feel like that would be appropriate. 
I'll say that this church had a problem with legalism. I don't know the pastor personally, so I cannot say whether or not it came from that pastor. But the youth pastor, for sure, had a problem with legalism. Taking things out of context and and just hammering the teenagers with it. Many of the teenagers from that youth group ended up just running headlong into rebellion. And when questioned on it, there were some odd things going on in that youth group for a long time. Girls were banned from carrying purses. Because purses are uh, can carry a symbolic a symbol of the world. And so girls were banned from carrying purses. The senior high girls were told, as well as the junior high girls, I don't have as much problem so much with the junior high girls, although I don't think I would ever dictate this, but the senior high girls were told they could not wear makeup. They could not wear makeup because um, you are just not of age yet to do that. Some of you in here understand why maybe some of those teenagers rebelled and they got a little bit older. Um, my friend Stephen uh, went off to Bible college and met a girl who was raised in a very similar home. On his honeymoon, she, uh, he opened up the suitcase, and inside her suitcase were short, short shorts. Remember, this is a girl who had been wearing skirts well below her knee the entire time he knew her. She looked at him and she said, I'm not going to church with you ever again, and I will wear these, and you're not going to tell me I can't. Married someone completely opposite of who he thought he had. By the way, this girl was from his youth group. This is what legalism can lead to. It's what it can lead to. Tonight, let me say, I believe that God wants New Testament Christians to find a perfect balance between His laws and His grace. We're to take the two and we're to marry them together. We're to marry them together. We are to learn how they both function in our lives and, 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 and in our interaction with others. I propose that by letting the Holy Spirit take lead in our lives, He will guide us through the concept of balancing the rules of the Bible and Christian liberty. There is a perfect balance that can be struck. Tonight, let's jump in and look at four points on this idea of legalism in the church or Are we a legalistic church? Notice number one, the definition of legalism. The definition of legalism. Now, um, there are two different definitions from a theological standpoint on the topic of legalism. And uh, I'd like to, to give those to you. Let me just say this up front, that these definitions did not come out of a Baptist dictionary. Where did these definitions come from? They came from dictionary.com. Keep that in mind when you see what they are, because they don't look like they would have come from the liberal website, dictionary.com. The first and primary, primary and original meaning, throw it up there on the screen, guys, if you would, legalism is the doctrine that salvation is gained through good works. Does that look like something you get off of dictionary.com? Look it up for yourself. It's there, I promise. Unless someone from Dictionary.com is listening to the sermon, they run and change it on me real quick. Amen? Doctrine that salvation is gained through good works. Look down with me at Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration 
and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, uh, if someone tells you that you go to a legalistic church, you can very calmly look them in the eye and say, no, I don't. We teach salvation by grace through faith. I don't go to a legalistic church. What is a legalistic church? Well, by the pure, original definition of what legalism is, a legalistic church would be a church like the Mormon church or the Jehovah's Witness church. I know we're in a highly Catholic area, but like the Catholic church. They teach you have to earn your way to heaven. Any church that teaches that salvation is something other than salvation by grace through faith is a legalistic church. It is a legalistic church. And so, uh, very simply, the conversation can begin and end when you educate the person that tells you, you go to that legalistic Baptist church, no I don't. The definition of legalism is salvation by anything other than grace through faith. And we teach salvation by grace through faith. And that will probably, right there, end the discussion. But when someone tells you that, what do they really mean? I think most people that make that accusation, they know that you have your salvation doctrine down. They mean something different. And by my introduction, you can tell there's a secondary definition. Put the second definition up there if you don't mind. Legalism is the judging of one's conduct in terms of adherence to precise laws. The judging of one's conduct in terms of adherence to precise laws. It is taking the Bible and it is laying it down and it is judging someone and saying their life does not match up to Scripture. Now, you might remember a I guess it's been about a month or a month and a half ago, I preached a sermon about to judge or not to judge. How many of you remember that sermon? Good, you were awake. In that sermon, we talked about that when someone is under your jurisdiction, it is your place to judge them. But when they are not, it is not your place to judge them. It is your place to pray for them and let the Holy Spirit deal with them. And so um, a legalistic church is a church that's filled with people that run around judging each other. They run around telling everyone, you're wrong with this and you're wrong with that. And they all have their own interpretation of Scripture and they're all telling everyone where each other is wrong. And you know what you call that church? Not one for long. Not one for long. Churches like that don't last. They just don't last. How many churches I have seen throughout my time. And uh, someone asked me, am I a Baptist? And I say I am. And I never plan on changing for being a Baptist. But... In my years of uh, being a Baptist, which would be 32 of them, um, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Baptist church movement. Can I tell you what the bad and the ugly are? Legalistic churches. Pastors that stand up and make the congregation feel as though if you don't adhere to these standards that aren't in the Bible, then you are not right with God. And I won't go into detail what those standards are. Listen, uh, there needs to be a buffer of grace between you and I. As far as um, uh, my standard and your standard, there will be a day and a time, not this sermon, but there will be a day and a time where I share some of my standards with you. But it will never be done in a way as to impose those standards on you. I believe that you need to walk with God and God needs to help you establish your own standards. 
me take a topic that is controversial in the Baptist circles. And again, I'm not going to give my opinion on it tonight. I'm just going to use it for sake of illustration. The concept of women wearing pants. I think the air just got sucked out of the room. Again, I'm not going to state uh, where my standard is on that. I think if you watch my family closely, you can probably figure it out on your own. I have been in many churches or known of churches where the pastor hammered that from the pulpit. Hammered it. And you know what ended up happening is that when the pastor fell in sin or the pastor left, those who were adhering to the standard dropped it. Dropped it. You know what they were doing? They were following a man. They were not following the Lord. Churches that preach that way, that teach that way, by the second modern definition of legalism, they struggle with that. They struggle with that. By the way, when a man like that falls... Oh my goodness, the danger and disaster he leaves in his path. How many times have I seen a pastor that's held up and treated as though he was God? And when the pastor falls, how many people run from church never ever to return? Now I pray the day never comes that I fall in sin. But if it does, my hope is that your trust is in the Lord and not in me. And that you will stay faithful to this book and faithful to your God. We see the definition of of legalism. Number two, notice the demeanor of some churches. The demeanor of some churches. Look with me at uh, Titus chapter 3, back at verse 2. The Bible says they're to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. By the modern definition, there are some churches that could be labeled as legalistic churches. These are filled with people who try and earn God's love through their behavior. Now, let me just take a minute here and preach if I can, and that is this, that there is no way that through a certain set of behavior you can earn more of God's love in your life. Regardless of whether or not you're the best Christian with the highest standards here, or you're the worst Christian with the lowest standards here, God loves you both just the same. He loves you just the same. A church that struggles with legalism has a church full of people and oftentimes a pastor that seem to teach and preach the opposite that uh, that the better you behave, the more God loves you. And I'm here today to tell you that God loves you just the same whether or not you go home and you turn filth on your TV or you go home and you read your Bible. Now let me just say this, is that I can't climb into the mind of God and know this, but I would guess that He probably favors those that walk with Him closer more than those that don't. That don't. I would guess He answers prayers of those that, favor, that, that walk with Him quicker than those that are not walking with Him. We know there are biblical principles that tell us that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. God shuts down the line of communication between Himself and a wayward Christian who does not walk with Him. But let it be known and let it be clear that God's love for you is infinite and His mercy can never be taken away. Can be never be never be taken away. Talked about that church that banned the teenage girls from wearing purses. By the way, for the record, when it got to the pastor that that was being done, he fired that youth pastor. 
I don't know if he was trying to save face and he really didn't know about it or if he knew about it and uh, was, was being dishonest about it. But he fired that youth pastor who is being uh, uh, over the top with some of those things. But let me, let me say today that be careful about being one of those type of Christians. My friend, let me just tell you here that with all my heart, I want you to do what's right. I want you to take the law of the Bible and I want you to try to live by it. And I will preach and preach and preach in regards to your obedience to Scripture. But my friend, I will never, ever, ever beat you over the head and make you feel as though God is going to quit loving you if you don't do those things. My friend, the infinite grace of God is inexplicable. And it cannot be uh, overworked. You can't lose your salvation because of your sin. Then you have the other side of that, and this would be the anti-legalist. The anti-legalist. How are they? Well, they have the attitude, we'll get, get to them a little bit more further in the sermon, but just quickly, let me just say this. They have the attitude that everything goes. Just come as you are, we love you. And these are churches that are pastored by people who do not like to preach against sin. They have no standards in their life. None. None. How are we supposed to behave? Well, we see that uh, Paul tells Titus that, uh, that some of you behaved like this. And you see the list there. Disobedient, deceived, hateful, hating one another. And then verse 4 begins with the word, but. But. You see, the love of God steps in and it changes us. But after that, the kindness and love of God, kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. How do you refute a legalistic attitude at church? Here's how you do it. By showing love and kindness to others. Love and kindness. I might look over at someone and I might see that they have a standard that I don't believe to be up to par. I can go and shove my Bible in their face and tell them that they're wrong. Or I can love them. And I can show kindness to them. And I can pray for them. That God will lead them along. I can't tell you how many times Angel and I have been out with a church member in, 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 the, in the time we've been married and in the ministry. And a lady has looked at Angela and said, Angela, why do you dress the way you do? Why do you dress the way you do? And Angela at that time, because she has been loving and kind, she has an opportunity to graciously open her Bible and share with her Scripture. You know what she's done is she has given herself a chance to make a mark in that girl's life. There have been a number of times where ladies have gone home and they have taken their wardrobe and they have changed it over. Now, had Angela taken her Bible and shoved it in their face and said, Don't you see what the Bible says? Can't you see how your living is wrong? It repelled them and pushed them away. would have repelled them and pushed them away. But when we show love and kindness... And other people see how you live. They will come alongside and they will give you a chance to influence them. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, and again, hold, hold your place in Titus, but turn in your Bibles, if you would, over to Galatians chapter 5. I'm very careful to say that a book of the Bible is written for one specific reason. I believe that all of the Pauline epistles were written for multiple reasons. But if there is one theme idea throughout the book of Galatians... The church of Galatia was a legalistic church. 
It was. And Paul wrote them to reprimand them on their legalism. Now, he touched on other things in the letter. But in his letter to the Galatians, he put them in their place for being hard and unkind and uh, holding to the law to try to earn God's favor and expecting everyone else to do the same. Look at verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. But behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is the debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Uh, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness. Notice that, by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well, who did hinder you that ye, re- ye should not obey the truth. Now we see here in this passage... Paul uses the concepts of grace and truth, and boy, does he blend them together so beautifully through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What's he saying here? He was saying that some of you are trying so hard to be uh, accepted by God as a Christian by your behavior, and God does not accept you because of your behavior. He accepts you because He has saved you. He accepts you because He loves you. Now let me say this this evening is that if your attitude uh, toward truth is that I obey truth because God loves me, uh, 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 you've got it right. I, I, let me say tonight, I do not obey the truth so that God will love me. I obey the truth because God does love me. And that's the whole idea of the sermon here tonight. Listen, the more you stop and you dwell on and you think about and you focus on how much God loves you and what He's done for you, boy, it causes you to want to run to this book and absorb it and say, God, You love me, so I will live for You. It's completely opposite of this. I've got to do what's right. I've, I've got a hold of this and I've got a hold of that and I've got to obey this verse and I've got to obey that verse and maybe somehow I'll earn God's favor. There's got to come a day where you look at your salvation and you realize that you did not get saved because you earned it. You got saved because God loved you in spite of you. And your faith saved you through God's grace. Now hold on to your seats because this really boils down to the whole sermon. Why are you trying to live the Christian life different than the way you got saved? Don't you understand that your growth in Christ comes about the same way that you get saved? You grow by faith in God's grace. Just the way as you are saved by faith in God's grace. That process is what brings you about to justification, to sanctification rather. Number three, notice this, the defamation of holiness. The defamation of holiness. I did a lot of research for the sermon I read an article online. I, I wanted to get the those who throw legalism at people like us, I wanted to get their mindset. I wanted to understand where they were coming from. And so I found a very interesting blog post by a man who teaches Sunday school in a church. And uh, he said he was teaching in the same passage I preached out of about Phariseeism a few uh, months back. He was teaching out of that same chapter. And he asked the people in his class, it was one of these group discussion type deals, he asked them, how many of you went to a legalistic church growing up? 
A bunch of people shot up their hand. And they went around the room and they shared their sob stories about their harsh, legalistic churches. And let me say that again, I know they're out there, but there's not as many out there as that label's thrown around at. One lady gave a story that fits exactly what I'm talking about. One lady raised her hand and she said, Well, when I was a kid, I went to a Baptist church and uh, they had a Christian camp. And uh, as a teenage young lady, I went to that camp. And they did not let the boys and girls swim together. This is her reason on why they're a legalistic church. She said not only did they not let them swim together, but the girls had to be dressed from shoulder to knees on their way to the pool. Not only did the girls have to be dressed shoulder to knees on their way to the pool, the boys were put in their cabins and were distracted so as not to even look at us. This was her reason why that was a legalistic church. Now let me just say tonight that I would do it the exact same way. Now you ladies might not understand this, but as a man, I do. And every man in the room that is a red-blooded male, you'll all know where I'm coming from. You cannot put a teenage boy in a pool with a teenage girl. You can't do it. There are hormones that run through the body of a man, especially that are very severe and intense as a teenager, and they will not be thinking things that are holy and just and godly. Any man here want to disagree with that statement? I respect the pastor that was doing his best to protect the eyes of his young men and protect the purity of his young ladies. And if that gets him labeled as a legalist, then let him be labeled as a legalist. Many of the churches that are this anti-legalistic type attitude, outside of their churches, oftentimes you will find a sign that says this, come as you are, come as you are. Now let me just say, I believe that we want to accept people exactly the way they are. But can I tell you what most of those churches really mean? What they really mean is, come as you are and leave as you were. Come as you are and leave as you were. They preach sermons that are lovey-dovey, but they never preach against sin. They talk about God's grace, but never talk about God's wrath. The only time this group is generally passionate is when they are ripping apart those who, uh, who uh, in their minds, are labeled as legalists. Legalists. And I would tell you today to be very, very careful about that. Another way of putting this is that the people who run in this anti-legalistic circle oftentimes are abusers of Christian liberty. I went to Hiles Anderson College. I was there from 2002 to 2007. And i got to say that that ministry gets a bad rap. It really does. I think the whole time I was there, I heard the topic of women in pants preached on once in five years. And it was done very grace, gracefully. Now, you would never guess that by reading all the things on the Internet. Uh, you would get the idea that that place is just ripping people's heads off about standards all the time. Let me say, though, that there was, to a small degree an attitude of legalism there in that ministry, to a small degree. I don't think it permeated the ministry, and I don't think it came from the pastor of the church at that time. 
But there were other ministry heads that, that had that there. The day came where the pastor there fell. Many of you know the story. The pastor fell and he fell hard. And today, many of the kids I went to college with, they have gone from following the mothership to totally switching to the opposite side. They uh, have taken Baptist off their signs. Their wives can be seen on Facebook in shorty shorts. They've got rock music in their churches, and they call it Christian rock or contemporary Christian. And they have totally allowed the the pendulum to swing the opposite direction. Can I tell you today that God is not happy with those who have a legalistic attitude? He wrote a book in the Bible about it. But He is equally not happy with those who go the other direction. He also wrote another book in the Bible, and it's called the book of 1 Corinthians. He rips carnality up and down one side or the other. God does not want you to be legalistic. He does not want you to be carnal. He wants you to find that middle ground where you take grace and you take truth and you marry the two together. Where you do your best to live by truth because God has saved you and you want to do that to honor Him. But then when you see someone else who isn't quite pulling the standard that you think you ought to, you show grace to them and you love them. My friends, tonight, don't defame holiness. God cares about it. He has told us that we are to be holy. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 9. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law. That's, that's this legalism. For they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. These are people that want to kick dirt on the law. They want to water it down and say it really doesn't matter anymore. I spoke to one person who goes to a uh, anti-legalistic church where everything's allowed to go. And she said this, she said, if it's not repeated in the New Testament, then it doesn't apply to us. And oh, my friends. Oh, my friends. God gave us the Old Testament for a reason. Unless the New Testament directly says it does not apply to you, then it applies to you. It applies to you. You don't go out and obey it to earn God's love, but you go out and obey it because God loves you. Don't defame holiness. We see the definition of legalism. We see the demeanor of many churches. We see the defamation of holiness. Number four, notice lastly, the desire of the spiritually mature. The desire of the spiritually mature. Look down with me at Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. The Bible says, This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful, might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Notice the adjectives used to describe the word works. Good and profitable. They're good and profitable. What is the desire of the spiritual mature? It's to walk in grace and truth. Those that are legalistic, they walk in truth, but not grace. Those on the other end of the pendulum, they walk in grace, but they don't walk in truth. God wants you to do those works in both grace 
and in truth. He wants you to do them with both. I preached a sermon a few weeks ago, sometime back, about mercy and truth. I talked about how that we switch their roles or we get their roles reversed. How we love to apply truth to everyone else, but mercy to us. Can I, can I pause here and say that uh, many legalistic people, they don't apply mercy to themselves. They apply truth to themselves. But they think that because they are so hard on themselves, that gives them the right to be hard on everybody else. And to that I would say, keep being truthful with yourself, but learn to show grace to other people. Learn to show grace to others. There's this doctrine called sanctification. It's very simple to understand. It's a big fancy word, $5 word. It's very simple to understand. The day Jesus saves you, the sanctification process begins. God puts the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit's job is to work you over from the inside out. Try to get you to quit sinning and get you to walk with God. That process ends when you draw your last breath here on earth and you step on the shores of heaven. And then you are given a new body and that sin nature is gone. And now the Holy Spirit doesn't have to strive with that sin nature anymore when it comes to you. What is um, the desire of the spiritually mature? It is to grow in sanctification. It's to say, I was here when I got saved. And I'll be there when I go to heaven. And I'm not content staying here because God loved me. I'm going to take some steps. I'm going to say no to sin. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to guide me and to lead me in the ways of truth and grace. Oh, there's going to be some times where I move in the wrong direction. But I'm going to get up. I'm going to dust myself off. And I'm going to continue to walk forward. My prayer is that when you get into your 60s and your 70s, when you've been saved for 25 or 30 years, oh, you'll never be like you will be when you get to heaven, but my prayer is that you'll be close. That you'll be a lot closer than you were the day you got saved. In a church this size, there are going to be people that get stuck right here. They get saved and they never make any progress. There are going to be others that have started the journey and somewhere along the way they stopped. As you walk your own journey, be kind and loving toward those that are at different points along the path. Be kind and loving and gracious. The day might come where they come to you and they want your help. And you'll be there to help them along. That's the desire. The desire of the spiritually mature is to allow the Holy Spirit to lead them individually. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Again, Paul emphasizing to this, a legalistic church that I will do what's right not because I want to earn God's love, but because He loved me and He gave Himself for me. Paul had grown in such a way in the love of Christ that it brought him to the place where he said this in Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering 
being made conformable unto His death. He said this, he said, I love my God so much that I want to be just like Him. Even in the fellowship of His suffering. I want to know Him on every level. I pose the question as the title. Is this a legalistic church? And I'll say tonight that the answer is unclear. That all depends on whether or not its members are legalistic. Is this church an anti-legalistic church? Or is this church an abuser of Christian liberty? And again, that all depends on whether or not its members are. I can tell you this, I feel like I know the leadership of the church here pretty well. I don't feel like our deacons struggle with either one of those. I can tell you I pray very hard not to struggle with those things. Can I tell you what my prayer is for my life on this topic? I desire to enjoy and understand the love of God that is in my heart and then to allow that to propel me to become like my Savior as I seek to perform His role that He has left for me to do and to do it with a heart of holiness that is Spirit-led. If while I'm doing this, people want to label me as a legalist, then let them. Then let them. But my friends, that's what I call godliness. And that's what we're called to be. We're called to be godly. Godly. The Holy Spirit calling the shots in your life? You being gracious and kind to others, or are you throwing stones? Are we a legalistic church? I don't think we are. But is it possible there's some legalistic people sitting in the pew tonight? Well, look in your heart and you have to answer that question for yourself. Maybe you're here tonight and you're on the other end of that spectrum. You're not quite applying truth to your heart the way you ought to. Whichever it is, you need to do business with the Lord. And you need to marry the law and the truth, or rather the grace and the law in your heart. And you need to let both of them guide you. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this evening.